Nearly 30,000 life-saving organ transplant procedures are performed annually in the U.S. Organ transplants are quite common around the world. And as we know, an organ transplantation is a life-saving procedure. But while organ transplantation gives patients another chance at an extended life, it comes with substantial risk. As dermatologists, we might be faced with patients who have cutaneous complications after a transplant. And thus, understanding how to manage these patients' condition is critical to providing an improved quality of life to them. To explore the topic of cutaneous manifestations for transplant patients, we have the honor of having an expert on this topic, Dr. Jose Manuel Mascaro from Barcelona. Dr. Jose Manuel Mascaro is a consult consultant physician of the dermatology department at the Clinical Hospi Hospital of Barcelona, as well as the head of professor of dermatology at Barcelona University. Dr. Mascaro is an internationally known for his contributions of over 100 scientific papers and book chapters in well-known dermatologic publications. Most importantly, Dr. Mascaro is in charge of the Dermatology Inpatient Unit at the Hospital Clinic de Barcelona, where he oversees the autoimmune skin consultations and cutaneous pathology of transplant patients, both solid organ and stem cell transplants. Dr. Mascaro, it is a real pleasure to welcome you today. Thank you very much. The pleasure is for me. Let's get started. How often should people see a dermatologist after an organ transplant or a stem cell transplant? Well, that, that depends on the patient. So for example, uh, if the patient doesn't have uh, um, skin damage, uh, sun damage, and it it's a young patient, maybe they don't see to, need to see the, the uh, a dermatologist for several years. But if it's a patient that's old, like a 50 to 16 year old, who has had a lot of sun damage and it's fair skinned, then it's reasonable to see them between the first six to 12 months after organ transplantation. In the case of um, stem cell transplantation, it's different because although, although they have a risk for skin cancer, normally the most uh, of our consultation are due to graft um, versus host disease. And then this is normally the, con the consultation is made by the hematologist if there's any manifestation. What, what is the most common type of skin cancer after transplant surgery? The uh, Normally, most uh, frequent is uh, squamous cell carcinoma and also uh, the precursor, which are actinic keratosis, although that also depends also in the area. For example, in the south of uh, Europe, in Spain, we see also a lot of uh, BCC, a lot of basal cell carcinoma. And it depends. So, for example, people from... Um, skin uh, and uh, northern uh, European ascent have more squamous cell carcinoma. People who are more Mediterranean, we see more ba basal cell carcinoma. It's really interesting because in the general population that doesn't have organ transplants, BCCs are more common than SCCs. How come in the transplant uh, population this seems to be reversed? I mean, we don't really know the, the, the reason because that depends also on the population, but it's, it's an observation that the, the ratio is inverted. So normally in the general population, based on CC, we see a, a one SCC for every three or four BCC. And in, in, in patients with a 
uh, organ uh, solid organ transplantation, the, the the ratio is inverted. But the, the real reason is not really known. Okay, and so there are what several is the factors. <laughs> There's still, of course, it's science, so there's still a lot to be learned. Um, what is the likelihood or the how, how much greater is the risk of developing a skin cancer after a transplant? Can be more, more than 100 times the, the times that uh, from a, 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 norm, a regular person. Wow. And mm -hmm. is there a typical duration? Like if you see, is it typically like, a year later, or is it several years later that after their transplant that you likely see this skin cancer come about? Normally the risk is related to also to immunosuppression. So normally the highest risk is after 10 years of uh, transplantation. But also if the patient has a lot of uh, damage, skin damage, and it's an older patient, then we, we can see skin cancer before that, uh, that time. So we're talking risk factors here, and you mentioned duration of immunosuppression. What other risk factors are there for a patient um, for developing skin cancer after their transplant? So the most important is, as I told you before, the age of the patient. So older patients have higher risk. Sex is also important. So it's higher, the risk is higher in male patients. Also the the skin dam, uh, sun damage from the patient is important. So if a patient has a lot of uh, sun exposure before transplantation, that make, makes it uh, higher. Then also the duration of immunosuppression and also the amount of immunosuppression. For example, it has been seen that patients who have um, more, uh, the, take more immunosuppressants or have higher doses of immunosuppressants have a higher risk. And this is also particularly in patients who have a, a thorac thoracic uh, transplant like heart or lung, and it's lower in patients who have a, an abdominal transplant, like for example, renal or hepatic. And normally patients who have a, a, a liver a transplant, they get less immunosuppression. The risk is a, a little bit lower. Is there any correlation with the type of transplant that the recipient uh, receives that correlates with their the type of skin eruption that you might see? Mm, sorry, I, I don't understand your question. So is it typical, like, for instance, if someone receives a kidney transplant, is it mm -hmm. more common that someone who receives a kidney transplant get SCCs versus a patient who received a liver transplant or a stem cell transplant? For example, in the renal transplants are the most common patients. So that's a, what we see every every day in the clinics. Then uh, they, they, this is the type of patient where we see more, more cancer. And I think in general, we see more risk than in, um, in um, liver transplant, but uh, that depends also on the patient. So, so we can have patients with liver transplantation who get a lot of uh, squamous system so we cannot really differentiate. In patients with um, um, stem cell transplantation, normally we see a risk of, uh, of cancer after, some years after transplantation, in particular in patients who have had uh, um, chronic graft um, um, host disease, and in particular also patients who are fair-skinned and, and had a, a lot of sun exposure. But, okay. but normally these patients with organ transplantation, when we see them, they don't, they are not anymore with, um, 
with um, immunosuppressants because normally they, they can be uh, taken off, but the the risk is uh, can be similar to a patient who, with renal transplant uh, transplantation. And do you understand why we AKs actinic keratosis seem to progress much faster in the transplant population versus the general population? I mean, I think it's everything. Everything is related to the immune system. For example, in non-immune depressed patient persons, a lot of these precursors lesions can be managed by the immune system. So the immune system gets gets rid of the a lot of malignant cells in our bodies, not only in the skin, in other organs. But in these patients with this, who have the, uh, an immune system that is not working well due to immunosuppression, then the risk of progression of any cancer is, is higher and any precursor will go much, much uh, quicker. Right. And what, you know, I've see, I was a cutaneous oncology fellow. So I would see patients come in after their transplant and their legs would be covered in SCCs. And we would often do something called chemo wraps. What are your treatment options that you usually go to for patients with multiple lesions that are more than just excising one or two lesions because there's too many that you can't excise them all? Mm-hmm. Okay, for, so for patients who have a multiple, we don't use these chemo wraps. We use topical therapies like a topical uh, fluor, uh, FU, fluorouracil. We, can, we use sometimes uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, photodynamic therapy, sometimes combined with with laser, and if we also if the patient develops a lot of uh, lesions, sometimes we use uh, systemic uh, treatments like uh, um, acitretin or even a capacitabine. Oral capacitabine can be used, although it's not. Uh, it's we have to use it um, um, off label because it's not uh, approved for that, but we can ask for that. Okay. So we mentioned a lot about uh, basal cell carcinomas and swim cell carcinomas. How about melanoma? Is it common that you see an uptick of melanoma in transplant patients? As you said, of course, when someone is immunosuppressed, you usually can get progression of other cancers much faster. But Mm. um, do you see a much greater um, risk... uh, for, mel- for developing melanoma and what is the survival like for these patients? Uh, yeah, so the risk of melanoma is also higher in these patients, although we don't see a lot of, it's not like uh, for uh, non-melanoma skin cancer, which is more, more frequent. And n- most of the patients that we see, they have a localized uh, melanoma because normally we check them. So as we check them, we can detect the melanoma uh, in early stages, but when these patients develop uh, mela- uh, melanomas, if they progress, then due to the immunosuppression, they have worse prognosis. One of the problems we can have with these patients is uh, if a patient with an organ transplant patient develops melanoma and you need to, to go further than surgery and you need, for example, uh, immunotherapy, there's a complete contraindication for these patients because they will the, the, the immunotherapy can make the, the, the transplanted organ to be rejected. And this can be, that's, in, in the case of a renal transplant, you always have hemodialysis. 
but in other transplant, you don't have options in this patient. So that's a, that's a problem we have been facing in some patients who have advanced disease, that it can be a, a real problem. And are there certain medications, you know, of course the transplant can make you immunosuppressed, but so can the medications that um, the recipients are given after. So are there certain medications or drugs that we find are making people more prone to developing skin cancer versus other immunosuppressants? Uh, yes. For example, there are the, some immunosuppressants are worse than the others, or in particular, um, cyclosporine and azathioprine are the, the, the highest uh, risk. So in particular, azathioprine has a very high risk of developing skin cancer. And now it's not, it's not used uh, as a regular medication for transplant organ, but uh, some patients have been taking them for 30 to 40 years and then it's difficult for the transplant team to remove this medication. But sometimes if the patient is developing a lot of skin cancer, we, we talk to them and, and try them to have to, to change this medication for another one. And this is also the case with cyclosporine, uh, but it has a less risk than azithromycin. And then the other type of medication is we have is voriconazole. So voriconazole is an uh, antifungal drug that is used in, in immunosuppressed patients to treat uh, uh, the, um, deep fungal infections. But the problem with this drug is that the patients who, who are taking it for a long time, they can develop an, uh, a phototoxicity and also a very uh, a high risk of carcinogenesis. And this has been shown in, in different studies. Wow. Um, after a patient has been referred to you from their transplant doctor, how do you typically educate them after they have received their, uh, their transplant? Okay, so the, fir the, the, the first thing I have to advise them that the most, uh, the, 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 the risk factor, uh, apart from the immunosuppression, is, is sun exposure. So I have to try them to I have to tell them that they have to avoid the uh, sun tanning because a lot of people are addicted to sun. Uh, of course, for them, it's it's good to do uh, sports and do outdoor activities, but they have always to use uh, physical protection. So I tell them always that the physical protection like hats and shirts are the best uh, protection, even if they, in the other areas, they have to use high uh, uh, SPF, and also I, I am I, I am uh, tell them that they have to do a regular checkups. So normally, we with all these patients we do uh, checkups uh, every six to twelve months. If the patient is developing regular risk in cancer, we do it uh, more frequently. And then also the other thing we we try to teach them that if they have any suspicious lesion, in particular painful lesion, so pain is a very a very, it's a marker of cutaneous uh, squamous cell carcinoma, then they should come and ask for an appointment before the, the, the next uh, uh, visit they have with us. Do you recommend doing a pre-screening? Um, you know, I'm sure you collaborate often with the transplant doctors. Do you recommend that the patient comes for a pre-screening of their skin just to make sure that they don't have any skin cancers before starting the transplant? Uh, we don't recommend it regularly because there's a, there are so many patients. So there are a lot of people in the waiting list and we cannot, uh, we don't have, uh, there are not enough physicians to check them. So normally what we tell to the transplant team 
if the patient has a, a history of uh, of skin cancer or they believe they can have some skin cancer, they have they should send her to us. But they don't send us all the patients because that that's a uh, would be a huge amount of work right. for us. Not enough resources. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have enough people to see them. I'll come to Spain and help you out. <laughs> no, of course we we have a the the system is very different in Spain because we we have a public system, so all the everyone has an, a a public insurance that is covered and they can see the the dermatologist. So they they don't have to pay for they have only to pay for the for the SPF the the. <laughs> The, the the some protectors but not for the medication and for the visits or the procedures so that's that's different in the in some in other countries it's uh, the patients will have a, a different access to to dermatologists of course so we've spoken about skin cancer here and i understand that there are other types of skin eruptions that someone might develop outside of skin cancer um, after having a transplant. Can you share what those might be and um, how you go about dealing with them? Okay, so we can have two, two types of uh, different, uh, different um, eruptions. We can have uh, drug eruptions, which are not so common, but we can see them. So for example, in particular with Sirolimus, um, and everolimus, which are mTOR inhibitors, it's pretty frequent to see some acneiform rashes. So the patient, in particular, if patient had a pre previous history of acne, they can develop uh, uh, acne in the face or in the back, which can be sometimes difficult to deal with. And then we can have also other type of uh, drug eruptions. And then the other type of eruption we see are uh, cutaneous infections which are more frequent. So we see frequently uh, different types of tinea, cutaneous versicolor, uh, tinea pedis. Also, we can see uh, viral infection, in particular herpes, herpes or herpes zoster, which can sometimes be uh, important. And we sometimes they would need uh, even intravenous medication. And then we have a lot of problem with uh, warts. So warts are terribly common with this, uh, these patients. And sometimes we have a, a very uh, severe cases of, of, of wars that are difficult to deal because of the immunosuppression, even if it's not uh, normally it's not, nothing serious, but it can be uh, important right. for the patient. It's aesthetic also, so and it can also be quite a nuisance, so I understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, is there a timeline for these cutaneous eruptions to occur post-transplant? So like in the first month post-transplant, do you see more mm. um, like surgical complications? And then at what month do you see more fungal infections? Just a general timeline. I know obviously every patient is unique and things can change and differ. Oh, for, for example, drug eruptions, we will see them in the first months because it's the time when they're giving more drugs. And then the viral viral infections like herpes or herpes substance, we see them at the first months because they have more immunosuppression. And then the other type of uh, uh, like tinea or worse, then we can see them all over time. They are more typical in the, in, in long uh, in persons who get have been transplanted for for years. Okay, and do you ever see um, rare or opportunistic infections such as cutaneous nacardosis, Bartonella, or atypical mycobacterium? 
sometimes we see those, but this is not really frequent. So we can have two, two different settings. Sometimes the patient is admitted to the hospital with a life-threatening infection that uh, comes out to be a, an opportunistic fungus. And then sometimes we are called uh, to, on consultation if they are cutaneous lesion to, we can help with the cutaneous biopsies. But this is, can happen, but it's rare. And sometimes we see some, some patients who are feeling well and they develop some uh, bumps on, on their skin. And then uh, we, we, we do the biopsy and then we find out this, this was uh, a localized uh, deep fungal infection but normally they are they are sometimes even, even they develop they, we've seen patients they develop like a cyst it looks like a, a a cutaneous cyst and later on when we do the biopsy it we find on the biopsy there's a a, a fungal infection by any opportunistic but normally they are very localized and then we discuss them after that when we've done the diagnosis with the infectious um, department and sometimes they they want to do some um, some infection, some some to do to give them some drugs, but I think most of these cases they are so localized that uh, surgery is enough to, to cure these lesions. Okay, and what is your threshold for performing a biopsy? Because, as we all know, um, drug eruptions can have various morphologies and have many different clinical presentations. So. Do you find that you're, you are like waiting and say, this is likely a drug eruption, like let's wait and see, or do you kind of quickly say this patient's immunosuppressed, we don't want to wait too long, let's do a biopsy? So my, my threshold normally is if, if I see an inflammatory eruption, for example, in, a, in, in, any, in an organ transplant or in a stem cell transplantation, if I think that the eruption is going to go away with a topical steroid, then maybe I don't do a biopsy. So I first try with a antihistamine and give them a topical steroid and then see them in a few days, in a week or two weeks. So if the eruption goes away with the topical therapy, sometimes we don't need to biopsy. We know it was something inflammatory, but it's gone away. So if the eruption, if it, it looks like this eruption is going to get to, to you need something else than a topical steroid. If you think maybe I, I would need something something systemic, or I, I I I don't know if this is going to be graft versus host, or it's going to be a drug eruption, and and this is going to to change the, the treatment, then I, I think we are, we'll go for biopsy. But we we don't. I mean, when the right when it's a mild rash, we usually don't biopsy. Okay, and yes. what are the variety of superficial fungal infections that you might you might see on a transplant patient? Normally, the the, the what we see is tinea, like in the general population, we see tinea pedis, we see uh, uh, tinea young uh, nail tinea uh, nail fungus, and then uh, sometimes we saw see pityriasis versicolor. Okay, and do you usually tr you? Is it difficult to treat the transplant patient when they have, um, since they're transplant patients and they're immunosuppressed, is it difficult to get them effectively treated with the antifungal medications? The main problem we have with this patient is that they're normally they respond well to, to topical therapy. The main problem we have is with systemic drugs. So most uh, systemic uh, antifungals, in particular the azoles, they interact with the immunosuppressant. So if you want to give some systemic therapy for a, a nail infection, 
the transplant team doesn't normally don't, don't agree. They say don't give them any 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 drug because this can modify the, the immunosuppression and this sometimes can have a, you can have a risk that the patient has a, a rejection of the organ. Of course, so, so that, you that's, wanna... that's that's a problem. Err on the side patients. of caution. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that um, with a transplant patient, a human papillomavirus can also the occurrence can increase as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that with transplant patients that it's typically more likely or the risk increases for the HPV turning into a squamous cell carcinoma, just similarly to how the actinic keratoses in transplant patients turn into SECs? Okay, so I don't have this impression in the skin. So in when we have patients who have warts, normally we don't see these words uh, becoming squamous cell carcinoma. The problem is mainly with uh, genital disease. So if we have patients, so in particular, when we have patients with, uh, with a genital disease, both men and women, then uh, we have to, normally we, we send them to the gynecologist. Also, we, have a pro we ha also have a program in, my, in our department together with infectious um, disease physician to check for the anal, uh, the, the, to have a precancerous lesion in the anal area. In the, in the, so we, in this program, they, they, they both see patients uh, with HIV who develop uh, cancer, precancerous lesions in this area, but also other type of immunosuppressive patients. And these are the, is also the case of organ transplant. So, but normally I, do, I don't take care of these patients. So I, I, there's one of my colleagues who, who takes care of these of these patients? So, in if any if we see anything in the genitalia, then we send both to the gynecologist and the the anal um, screening of clinic course. that we have. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So, in the future, do you foresee? You know, there's a big push now to do targeted therapy, and it's going to be in the next couple of years, I think a lot of the chemotherapies and a lot of the drugs that come out will mm -hmm. be more targeted. Do you think that will decrease the risk of skin eruptions and development of skin cancers? Not right now. So I think that maybe in the future, but not right, right now. Uh, I don't see how this is going to, to modify the the, the risk of skin cancer in this, in this, in this uh, population. Are you thinking in any particular drug? No, I'm just thinking very broadly that if we target uh, cancer more mm -hmm. specifically, then the idea and the hope is that we would decrease the amount of immunosuppression in the rest of the body. And by doing mm -hmm. that, I would hope that we would have less um, skin cancers or skin eruptions. Yeah, right Right now, if we, want, we see a patient who has a lot of uh, skin can uh, of skin uh, cancer? What we have right now is uh, acitretin, which is non-specific, but uh, it, it will help to lower the risk of uh, squamous cell carcinoma and also actinic characters in these patients. And then also there's uh, nicotinamide, but nicotinamide has been used uh, in some studies with. Uh, non-immunosuppressed patients. So the evidence in patients with uh, organ transplant is, is less um, strong, but it's can, it probably can be used in the future, but these are not non-specific. They are not uh, uh, targeted therapies. 
but maybe in the future we have some type of drug that will help us to remove all the skin cancer. What we have been using in a few patients is uh, capecitabine, which is a prodrug that becomes a uh, 5-FU uh, in the body. And that also helps us in some of patients who have a lot of risk, but it's also non-specific uh, therapy. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Derm Club podcast. If you found the discussion today to be valuable, please subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode as we continue to delve into dermatology and skincare with the world experts.